Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Erin Yoshi, and today we have a special guest, Faith 47. Faith is a South African multidisciplinary artist. Her journey into art began in the streets of South Africa in 1997 as a young graffiti writer taking on the name Faith 47. In 2006, Faith began a nomadic journey, which has brought her to create works in 42 countries. Her evolution from street artist to multidisciplinary artist has created a fluid yet solid bridge into the contemporary art world. This explorative approach has led her to develop a broad range of artworks, ranging from immersive new media installations, hand-sewn wall tapestries, structural bronze works investigating hierarchies of power, paintings, and various explorations into printmaking. The thread of face practice can be traced from abandoned structures, landmark 20-story buildings, museums, galleries, and all the way through to intimate site-specific installations. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, Not Real Art family. We are so excited today because we have the amazing Faith 47. She's a muralist. She's an amazing visual artist. You have, you know, actually gone through many, many different mediums, but her work is presented around the world. And we're so excited to be able to welcome Faith 47 today. Good morning, Faith. How are you doing? Good morning. Thanks. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're so excited to have you. You know, I'm a fan of your work. I love it. You're just a powerful, powerful artist. And I'm so excited to get to do this interview with you. So, you know, I just have a series of questions and I'm wondering, I would love for you to walk us through some of your just beginning stages in the field. Like you started in graph, I think, you know, what was some of the early days like for you? Right. Yeah, that's true. I did. I started my Art trajectory started in graffiti. I mean, actually, kind of an, a non-conventional introduction to art making, I guess. And I was quite a rebellious teen, I would say. You know, I grew up in South Africa, and this is a 
a country that was an apartheid regime when I was a kid. And so there was a lot of un- like a feeling of unsettling. There was an unsettled feeling within me, I think, growing up that something was off. And yeah, I think I had a little bit of like angst that I needed to get out. And so the graffiti culture kind of really helped me with that. You know, we would be like tagging freeways and, you know, just that kind of thing. But also it was one of the youth cultures of the time that was crossing over like racial and social like class divides, you know. So it helped me to kind of get to know my country a bit better and to cross over some of those boundaries that were set up from historical boundaries. Um, So it taught me a lot and I'm super grateful for it. It also introduced me to working in public environments and, you know, engaging with communities and also spaces architecturally. I got really interested in how my work spoke to a, a space and could have a dialogue with the space, you know, a communication. So it also totally opened me up to like a global movement that was happening at the time, which has completely transformed my life. So yeah, that's where it began. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You know, thinking about early memories of your art making, what was the first memory you can even think back to of making art? Oh, wow. I grew up with a single mother, three kids, and we were like kind of wild children, like hippie kids, you know, we were always outdoors. And I mean, we would like make inks with flowers and do drawings with petals. And like, we were just always making stuff outside. So yeah. And I went to a Steiner school for a while. So I think the Steiner education system is so great because it really encourages creativity and imagination. And I have very deep memories of that too. I think that was a good influence for me. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Mm. And what were some of the earlier themes of they used to paint? What did you used to paint when you're running around in your early days doing graph on the streets? Yeah, I mean, look, in those days, the graffiti scene, it's kind of a traditional scene. So I, I learned how to do letters. That's what you do, you know, and I was really bad at it in the beginning, but I, I taught myself and you know, I think I got to a point where I really had, I got my letters down. I had my own style, but I was always kind of more into like the character side of things. And then, yeah, I found it a bit claustrophobic and, you know, a lot of rules and yeah, I just evolved from that. Although I I still appreciate it and, you know, it's part of my history and like where I, my journey, I didn't go to art school. So I didn't get that formal art training which has been both, I think, a good thing and also a bad thing. Like, you know, I wish I could speak a little bit more within that, like, formal art language, you know. But at the same time, it's allowed me to be quite free in my explorations and, like, unhinged and unbound by some of the, I think, the formalities and kind of thought structure you learn in some of those schools too, so... Yeah, absolutely. I can relate. I also didn't go to art school. I feel like I learned on the streets painting with other artists. And there's something really organic about, you know, kind of learning from your peers and building together and just going out and practicing when you're a little bit unhinged by, you know, like what it needs to be, you could still explore. And I think that that's, there's so much learning that takes place kind of through that journey. So I I can totally relate to that. 
Well, and also I think from the very beginning, art for me was very much connected to experience. And so it's, of course, the final image, the final piece that you make is your artwork, but it's very much about the process for me and like that internal process, you know? And that started, I guess, even in those days where it was about like your friends or the experience of making, of going out and doing that. And, you know, like all the street pieces I've done in my life, like each one has a really unique, interesting memory for me that has transformed me, you know? And I think I've taken that also into like sculpture and printmaking and all the, I think all the mediums I explore, I think they become about the experience of learning and mm -hmm. the people you meet in making that. And that whole experience becomes what I enjoy about the process, not just focused only on the piece, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's what's so powerful about public art, you know, because you get to meet people on the street and they impact it sometimes and just the space itself has an impact on it. So I think that that totally is, is spot on. You know, I when you think about some of those early memories in making art, you know, what were some early projects that kind of were like groundbreaking for you or transformative for you? I think one of my favorite projects well, I can, two of the early ones that I that kind of stick out for me are the Freedom Charter series I did, which was in 2009, I think. And I wrote out some of the sentences from the Freedom Charter document, which is a document that was created by the, the ANC before the end of apartheid, kind of outlining what the kind of structure of a new constitution should look like. And then... You know, like reflecting on this document when the country had not really been following those principles and like putting those sentences in spaces that were relevant to to what they were speaking about. I think that was like a kind of a turning point for me where I, I realized that I really wanted to deepen my practice conceptually and, and that. And then the other one that was also quite strong, I think, in South Africa was a project I did in Durban, which was at like an informal market where all the taxi ranks meet and the trains and the Warwick Triangle. And it's, it's a very chaotic place. Like when you go to Durban on the map, like the place I was staying there crossed out certain areas that you shouldn't go to because they were like too dangerous. So this area was crossed out and I was like, okay, well, that's where I'll be painting for the next three weeks. <laughs> yeah. And it was pretty intense, but also so so incredible just to interact with the traders there and, and the people who were there on a daily basis. And we did big portraits of some of the informal traders in the area on these big pillars of the freeway. And it just felt like the work that I made there belonged to the area and that it paid like a homage, you know, it was like a homage to these guys. And I mean, I hope, and I think that that work was successful in that it created a sense of ownership to the space that was always kind of in, it's a bit of a contentious space with the government trying to take it over and trying to take it away. And yeah, I think things like that, where I realized that I would like my art to have an actual impact on people, you know, at least some of them, not, not obviously all the time, but yeah, when you do a project like that and you, yeah, it gives like a, I guess a, a meaning a, a feeling of value to what you're doing. Yeah. Because you know, art can be decorative and it can be just for yourself sometimes. And I think it is nice when you're working in the public sometimes to have projects that can transcend that and have a, an actual impact. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I mean, I love the idea of being able to hold both, you know, because some artists just paint things that are beautiful. And that also creates value and hope and inspiration for people. But when things also have this deeper meaning and they're connected to the community and they almost become like community landmarks, I think it kind of creates this whole other atmosphere around the artwork itself. So that's really beautiful. I'm sure, you know, for people that are using the space on a regular basis to go by and see themselves, like how transformative is that, you know, and see themselves huge. I mean, these pillars are massive. So to be able to see them on such a large scale, I mean, that's really astounding. I'm sure that they're like very taken back by it all. And so like in projects like that, when you were kind of launching it, what, like, what does that trajectory look like when you take on a project of that scale? Like what is kind of some of the backgrounds that goes into something like that? I mean, research, you know, spending some time researching and just like making time for consideration on what you're going to do and not just rushing into things. And, but yeah, I think it also got me interested in architecture and city planning, you know, and seeing how there's a lot of antisocial city planning. Like in South Africa, there's a lot of ways that they plan spaces to make them not really accessible to the public for sitting or for people sleeping under bridges and this kind of thing. And realizing that if you're going to work in the public space, that you also are part of this city planning in a way, and you can have some impact on how people relate to the space around them, which often they're feeling quite, often I think we feel in cities are quite disconnected or like we don't own the space, you know, like we're in it, but it doesn't belong to us. And I think I would like to be part of a process that makes people feel like they belong and that they can be reflected in that space and that they can also participate and create things in those spaces, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm since you know, as you explained a little bit that you didn't go to art school. And so you didn't have, I mean, I don't even know if there's a conventional path. I don't think there is. Everybody kind of makes their own, especially in kind of this graffiti public art space. What did that look like for you to go from like just doing graph, you're doing letters, you know, you're kind of creating some early characters. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, what did that road look like to shift to doing more of public art and right well like I mentioned before it was timing as well you know this is a global movement which also was spurred on by the internet which hadn't really been utilized in that way before and I remember it was like street art crimes and then there was the collective blog and it was not street no it was art crimes sorry art Art crimes crimes. and then there was street art news you know Rom's uh blog and those kind of platforms were super inspirational for me because I was in Cape Town and I was very far away from a lot of the stuff that I saw happening that I really liked and I felt quite separated from a lot of this and I was geographically so I think having that influence was really healthy for me and then also I had a child really young so I guess I've always had a bit of I want to say like drive, but also like I had to be ambitious, you know, because I was so scared of getting a nine to five job or like it was hard, you know, I was hustling actually. And the, in my twenties were pretty intense. So I was kind of pushing hard. I was pushing my work, you know, I would be sending it out to blogs and things like that. This is like way before Instagram and that kind of thing. So I started getting invited to projects from around 2006, I think was maybe, I think 2005, I was invited to Sweden 
2006, I was invited to the States. And then after that, it just kind of started snowballing. And, you know, when I was, see, when me and Dal East were married too, um, he's a, a Chinese artist and we were just traveling like an unbelievable amount, like a few days there, a few days here. Like it kind of makes me spin just thinking about those years. But yeah, it just became like a really interesting adventure, I think, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you both are powerful artists. So that's, I can't imagine just being able to travel around. And I remember actually seeing some of your earlier work in like the Women of Graph book. It was like Women of Graffiti. (laughs) And I remember I was like, who is this? Faith 47. She's amazing. I love that page. I remember staring at it and being just like, wow, this is so cool. And it was just as like you're saying the the internet was kind of emerging. You know, like all this stuff was just you're starting to get more access because before it was like the books and the little mags that you'd be able to find it. So I think that's really powerful. The to understand too just how you (laughs) it's powerful and it's like super embarrassing at the same time because I literally grew up in public and I remember there was a point where I was just like oh no I hate all this work that's out there I need to get rid of it like it's all over like I wish I hadn't sent these things out like and also just having some of the work up in public forever that I really had grown out of you know but you know now I'm like completely comfortable with that and it's like part of my I guess history but yeah, so there's some uncomfortability of that as well, but whatever. I think when you're working in the public realm, you have to let go of this and just allow the works to have their own existence beyond your own ego and sense of what you are, you know, because I've changed so much since then. And yeah, you know, sometimes it's a struggle to like kind of re educate people who follow your work and they're like, but why aren't you doing this anymore? I'm like, well, I'm completely free. I'm absolutely allowing myself to like transform and try new things. And, you know, I I don't want to be repetitive. And I think the, one of the issues with art making commercially, like when you're making a living of your art, I think it's, you get stuck in what works, you know? So certain things become popular that you do. Maybe they sell well, people start knowing you for that. And then the artist will just repeat that forever. And sure, like there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, it just makes me super uninspired. And so, yeah, I've had to allow a lot of reinvention over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing those pieces early on. And then as you started to create a new body of work that was much more realistic and just like these series on the pillars, and it really felt like, oh, it's because she you've grown, you know, because you've changed. Like you could feel, I, I don't know, like from the outsider perspective, I felt like I could feel it in your work that you you were just a different person. And that was your exploration and kind of playing around having fun. And, and then at the same time, like your new work was just very strong and kind of had this deeper meaning and message. And it really started to like carry a very soulful feel, you know, in it. So how do you kind of choose some of the projects that you like to take on, you know, cause they do kind of have this, like, like there's like a breath underneath them. Right. Well, it's also interesting what you're saying. It's just making me think I was watching the Hilma of Klimt documentary and reading some things about her. And, you know, I really look up to her so much. And uh, one of the things I really loved is that like some of her most powerful works she made, like, you know, after she, w- she, 
she really made, I think, like later on in her life. And also she would take like a, a year or two, she wouldn't make anything. She'd just be like researching or like nobody knew what she did for those times, you know? And I, I thought that's really nice in terms of like, as artists, we can age like wine, you know, our work can get better over time. So I still feel like the real work I want to make is still coming. And that a lot of the stuff, especially the earlier stuff, it, it's all just like, that is studying, that is learning, you know. But yeah, I think the, some of the new media projects I've done have been very close to my heart. And, you know, a lot of those type of projects, yeah, they're quite hard to do because yeah they're all just self-funded like I haven't figured out how to get funding for those kind of things and they're not really for sale either they're just for showing so ideally I need to get more into kind of museum spaces and those kind of more contemporary spaces for that because I'm really interested in how to make immersive pieces that people can walk into and you know have experience within them so I think, yeah, some of the, I mean, we did Aurum, which was like a performance piece. We did Astronomia Nova, which was a hologram of the moon in the forest in Sweden. I did a piece called Disintegration of Self, which explored the, the atom bomb and was kind of a montage of explosions with like a Sanskrit chanting over it on these like torn fabrics. That was one of my favorite pieces. And also the Aqua Regalia series, which has been ongoing, which is kind of more like shrine installations, which are made up of uh, found objects and abandoned spaces, you know? So yeah, I think those are kind of some of the works that I feel are a bit more mature, can we say? And then also, I'm just going for it here. Like, sorry if I'm not answering. No, go, go. Yeah, I think like what happened to me actually was, like I said, I kind of hit the ground running when I was younger. And so for the longest time, I was just like working super hard, traveling a lot, like also juggling being a mother and like also uh, living really quite um, far away. So my flights were all super long hours and, and then moving to the States. And I... I think at the end of 2019, I'd had such a long, hard year. Like I had painted massive murals, like 19 stories, like uh, lots of projects right after one after the other and just put myself under a lot of strain. And I think I kind of burnt out a bit, you know, and then when COVID hit, I was, I was ready to take a break. I was like, done. I was like, I am done. Like, this is not the way I want to live, you know, living in LA. I think a lot of people there are on such a grind and it's like you become a machine and I don't know. I just, I, I was not happy with that lifestyle, you know? So last year was really strong for me and I stopped working. I mean, I was still doing stuff, but I really just took a step back and wanted to relook at like what I was doing and why I'm doing it. I mean, I think a lot of people had this experience last year, but yeah, it's been really healthy because I've realized that, I've realized where a lot of that came from and I just feel a lot less ambitious now. I feel like I really want to make works that are like really, really ingrained with what I'm doing and they're slower and I have more time for contemplation and yeah, I don't want to be in a rush. I feel like we're we're stuck in this kind of rush thinking, like producing too much and I want to, yeah, just be a little bit more intentional, you know? 
Absolutely. I mean, I love there's so many things there that I think are gems that you just dropped. But, you know, I love the idea because like as visual artists, we don't have to be like a musician where like your trajectory maybe could be shorter because you have to be so in the face. Like it's actually you as yourself in your face, even though some musicians do it for a long time. But other industries like a gymnast or something that it's like you peak out at, you know, at a very young age, we could keep going for so long. And I love the idea that the best work you're creating is still in front of you and the things that you're trying to build. I I think that that's amazing. And also this idea of rush thinking, it is, it's a rat race. You know, I feel like Los Angeles, the United States in a lot of ways, I notice that when I'm living out of the States, I live such a healthier lifestyle than sometimes I do when I'm in the States because the culture's so rush, rush, rush. What are you doing? What's going, it's always about do, do, do versus like trying to create a sort of balance. So, you know, I just, I really love that, that this time has kind of been a space for you to do that. And so maybe if you could share a little bit about like, what are things, I think that to be able to say no to projects is like a privilege, right? It's like you can, (laughs) and so what are things that you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not me. Oh, absolutely. And it is so nice to be able to say no to things. And You know, it's difficult when you're trying to juggle life and pay bills and all that. You land up saying yes to a lot of things and then you land up so busy that you don't have the real time you need to really incubate, you know, and saturate yourself, like for the real work you want to make. So, yeah, I was kind of looking at that and I was also looking at my expenses and I was just like, you know what, like I got to leave LA. I got to stop paying these high bills. I just like scrapped everything to like basics. I've been nomadic since March last year. And just kind of figuring a few things out, you know, but yeah, and trying to just buy that time for myself, I think in a way, just buy some time to be still, to actually incubate and read, meditate, like just get into the stuff I'm actually into, which is kind of a little witchy, you know, like I'm into like the esoteric into like, I want to go deeper into my personal journey of life. I see art as a form of healing, like for humanity and like creativity in general is it's something that gives us as a society, like a depth, you know, and it makes things a bit less transactional. And I think the problem with the States and this kind of Western thinking, which is the, the colonizing thinking, is it's all transactional, you know? Everything has a value, like an economic value. So I think moving away from that, of course, is we try and have experience of the world and people and conversations and, like, be there and be present. So... That's what I'm trying to do right now. I think it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. And I'm sure that when you, you know, it's like, as you're kind of taking this time for yourself, I mean, I can't imagine what's up, you know, what'll be around the corner, but it makes me really think about what are the ways, you know, your work is hopeful and it, it kind of, it does give this positivity to folks that get it, encounter it. But how do you replenish yourself? You know, how do you kind of, Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's why I'm taking this space, you know, and I Mm -hmm. think, well, ideally the way I see it moving forward is that I would like my works to be like talismans of sort, like objects of power that people can draw from. I mean, or also like I'm interested in, in ceremony and ritual and shadow work, dream interpretation, all this kind of stuff is informing my life, but I also want it to inform my artwork. I've 
I'm like a big follower of Jungian psychology and Jung actually had an amazing art practice throughout his life, which was not public. It was very personal and it was only released. His red book with all his artworks was only released, I think in the last two years. And it really affected me because I realized what a personal journey that was for him um, experience. And he would make totems and uh, yeah, just incredible stuff that he was making. It kind of shifted me and it made me want to have my practice a lot more, let's say personal, but actually, yeah, I don't know. It's like my tattoos on my body. Like each one has a memory to it and is like part of my like uh, different pages, the chapters of my life, you know? So I think the art needs to be like that too. But also, yeah, I'm interested in this idea of like deep ecology and reclaiming our our relationship with the planet and uh, the natural world. This has always been something that's interested me. So, yeah, I'm interested in also like getting a bit more involved in like projects that have some form of impact and that, you know, and also getting a bit more into like contemporary art making. But so I think I'm in a little bit of a liminal stage and like trying to just give myself some space for that, you know. You know, I often get fascinated with some of the background stuff of like being able to support an arts career because there's all this like business and admin that happens and, and all that stuff. So did you manage yourself? Are you self-managed? Did you have managers? Like what did it kind of look like for you and how you've developed the, the machine around you or the your your structure? Do you have a uh, team? Yeah, it's all DIY. I love it. From the start, you know, I've had some incredible assistants. Right. Really who have helped so much over the years you know but yeah just all DIY I mean I, I not necessarily wish it was that way I do no. wish I had like some great patrons and galleries who like would have absolutely supported me but unfortunately that's just not how it was so yeah I think that that's very real <laughs> and it's actually very hopeful I think for artists to hear because you know I think earlier on in my career I remember people saying oh you just get a manager like you just get a manager I'm like and that and most successful artists I know some have managers and a lot don't you know yeah. and they still like pull it together I mean now I have got an agent in New York for commercial mm -hmm. stuff but I don't really do a lot of commercial stuff and and I have mm -hmm. you know I say it's all DIY but I have had some support from like people like Roger Gassman and like you know, just people who have, I guess, just given you a little bit of, that means a lot, you know, when someone just gives you a bit of affirmation and, and that, because you need that, I think it's hard. It is hard when you're completely self-sufficient, but yeah, I think it also comes from like what we we're talking about earlier is like how I started out was I had to prove myself, like no one was going to give me any credit, you know, street cred. So, you know, I would go out and make things happen. And that's always been kind of ethos for me, not wait for things to happen. If I want to go and make a new media piece, like, sure, I should try and go get funding for it and everything, but also I'm just going to do it, you know, and make a way for it to happen. So a lot of those, like the pieces that I've made, like, have been completely like self-motivated and yeah. 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 I, I mean, I feel like that's the way to move. Sometimes you just can move more nimbly and so much faster and you're not restrained by like panels and what they think and how they're going to water down your work or, or whatnot. So I think that that's, you know, allows a lot of freedom, but I get that that's a challenge as well to self-fund everything or to self-fund things along the way. Cause 
yeah, well, I mean, self-funding, but also like you can get funding, but it's just like, you just got to be smart about it, you know? So like sometimes someone will come up to me and ask me about a mural project, which I'm really not doing anymore, you know, as much as possible. Or like, a, you know, like the mural festival, should I say. And then I'll be like, look, I'm, I don't want to paint a wall, but if you want to fund, rather fund this project, which is how we got the Astronomy, Astronomy Nova project funded was like that. So it's like just trying to find ways of funding your explorations, you know. So also in Cincinnati, we did a projection mapping mural, which was something I'd been wanting to do for like about four years. And I'd been pitching to people and nobody wanted to fund it. Eventually, the guys from Cincinnati funded it and it was incredible. Like it was such a great experience. So, yeah, I think it's just being persistent on your ideas, too. And like, finally, you'll find like an opportunity for it. But um, it takes a little bit of a push. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I feel like it's like you're grabbing a little from here, you're taking a little from here, and somehow all together you can like make it happen. But yeah. sometimes it's like you got to be as creative on on that road as you are in what you're making, you know. So it makes me wonder, like you said, you, you don't feel as ambitious in the way of like the, the push, the, the relentless, like no self-care, I'm just going to make, make, make. But what now, like... What does success look like for you? Like, what are some reach goals for you? You know, you're at like like one of the highest calibers in, in visual arts or public art. And like, what is the next thing that you're reaching for? Yeah, I mean, I love putting together exhibitions. Like putting together a body of work for me is such an amazing process. So I think, of course, I'm going to keep doing that, like moving forward. And I do have ideas for what those next steps will be. I just had the Chant exhibition in South Africa, which was like, quite strong for me to have like my first real big well it's my second solo back home but like it was the first like really big bigger one and then I think my next step will be a museum show in France and that one I want to hopefully do something a bit more like installation based you know right now I don't have like the answer of like you know what my next you know, besides that project, which I'm very excited about, like I have some threads of where I want to go, but like I said, I love that you're like exploring, you know, and being open to what can come. And I think that that's, what's going to bring the next exciting thing is just like allowing yourself the spaciousness to be there. I think it's super important for, for artists to take. You know, I'm also wondering, probably just because I'm a new mom or, you know, I have a little one, she's only two, but how has been a mom, like, kind of impacted you, your work along the way, or even just you and your creative practice? Yeah, so I had I had my son Kia when I was, like, I fell pregnant when I was 17, so we were kids, you know, when we had him, and he grew up with us, and... Oh God, he's such a joy. Like I love him so much. And he's such a great artist now because he would just come and sit in the studio all day and, you know, we'd take him to walls when we were painting and he would just like give him a little wall and he would paint there. So he just grew up with this around him. And so now he's doing incredible murals and he's living in New York also where I am. So I get to see him quite a lot. And yeah, I think it's such a beautiful experience. Although, yeah, of course it's hard to juggle that and and work and everything. And but it takes a village to raise a child, you know, I do believe that. And so I had a lot of support from my mom and his dad and just community friends. So, yeah, I think it's important to lean on those around you and not just try to do everything yourself. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It takes a village. Where do you pull some of your inspiration from? Like how, what inspires you or whose work are you inspired by? 
I mean, you know, within the field that we're working in, for a while I was getting a little bit despondent about like a lot of the muralism that was going up and, you know, there's a lot of stuff I'm not so fond of, but, but then when I look at individuals that I really love and I've followed their careers and they're friends of mine or whatever, like for years and years, and that just also keeps me really inspired. And I love like, for instance, like Blue's work and SF and Hero, uh, may she rest in peace. Axel Void, I think also Sebastian Velasco and who else? Spy. He's doing interesting stuff. Like there's so many incredible individuals out there. I mean, even these days, there's just like this massive like influx of these kind of like artists who are studio trained, like really, really good painters coming out, you know, which is, you know, for me, I'm like, I realize my level of like, real painting skills is not on that level as theirs and and I can just really appreciate that but it's also made me want to go and like study painting more so <laughs> yeah it's good it, people people keep you on your toes you know yeah I, I love that sometimes when I see somebody's piece and it's so technically difficult I'm like I need to practice more <laughs> you know yeah, like it like lights a fire under your butt <laughs> painting <laughs> yeah exactly I give up I drop my brush, forget it, I give up. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like recently I went to, I did that project. I don't know if you saw the, the works I did in uh, Lebanon. And yeah, like for me, that was kind of going back to my roots again in a way, just in terms of like street painting. Like I grew up street painting. I always loved like doing small site-specific works. Like this big muralism, I do enjoy it and it's a big challenge and it, it feels like amazing when you've achieved like a really big mural. But I'm interested in doing series of works that like have also got like a relationship to just like the magic of walking past something in a a small corner of a city, you know, or like abandoned spaces, like that kind of thing really excites me more, I think. Yeah. So I'm trying to also like relook at how to really enjoy what I'm doing. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's something that the pandemic kind of gave me as a gift. Like I was also a little bit on the burnout. And I think that when it came about, you know, it allowed me to take enough time off to now come back to it and be like excited and happy. And like, I'm just like, I just want to go have fun on whatever I'm working on just because it's like, I feel like I am refinding the joy in it. Because so much originally started as the joy, you know, and so I can completely relate to that feeling as well. But, you know, as you talk about doing these massive projects, like you do these massive murals, but you also do so much fine art and canvas. Like, how is that a difficult transition for you? I mean, you've been doing it for a while, but like, how do you approach both so differently? I think they all inform each other, actually, like the studio practice, like all the different mediums do inform each other. And often I'll have like a thematic that I'm exploring with different mediums. So the ideas transcend the medium a bit. And then also the medium you choose for an idea or for a thematic is kind of specific to like the medium also speaks about it changes the way you can speak. Right. Because I think I grew up like a little bit shy and unable to articulate myself properly. And even to this day, like the thoughts I have and the feelings I have are feel to me so profound. And when I try to say them, it's always inadequate, right? Like it's just not, I can't express myself. It's very frustrating. So that's why I make 
art, right? So every medium gives me like a different way of speaking. It's like learning a new language. And yeah, so I forgot what your question was. No, I love that. I'm cracking I'm just up. Because I love that totally that I'm like dying over here because I love that idea about like, I feel like I paint because I don't have words to say what I'm trying to say. And so it just is, it, it is, it's a new exploration. And I just love the idea of new mediums being a new language because it is, it's like a whole other way to express yourself that like words don't. Definitely. Well, and also, I mean, you know, this idea of like archetypal imagery and symbolism, and there's like deep innate, like ways that humans understand things like color or like objects, uh, animals, like situations, like we all can recognize imagery and it opens something within us, like an interpretation, right? That, yeah, transcends language, like it can, you know, no matter what language you speak. So it is something that is universal and also cultural specific, but it's just such a beautiful way of exploring, yeah, I think ways of like communicating ideas and emotions and philosophies. And yeah, I think we've, what, like we've been a little dumbed down, haven't we? Like in society, we're not as, I think we have so much more, more potential intellectually and just in what we can be. Like, I think we are profoundly powerful, like each one of us. And we're kind of told somehow through just the system that we live in. I think we're told in a way that we are not powerful, that we we can't change things, that we're just like part of this big system and that we have to just get in line and do whatever we grew up with, you know? And like, I disagree with that, you know? And I think we can really, really choose our own path. And of course, that's difficult as well, but... I think a lot of it's got to do with the way we think, you know, we think we're in a cage and then we are in a cage. So I like this idea of art being able to open people's hearts or open the way they think or the way that they see things. And I mean, that's happened to me so many times with music and theater. And I really think the creative realm has this space in society that can help transform and and bring in new ideas and inspiration and like remind us that life is magical and that there's mystery and that not everything has to be defined or calculated you know absolutely absolutely I think it it does it has a special way to like pierce the soul you know to pierce the spirit to to pierce somebody's heart you know I wanted to ask you because you have a piece that's not too far from I've driven by it a lot but you have this piece in Skid Row in LA that it's like somebody kind of giving a I would say like an embrace to themselves could you explain a little bit about what that piece means to you Right. Yeah. When I moved to America, I moved to Los Angeles and I was just overwhelmed by the homelessness situation. I just couldn't believe how such a society with so much wealth has allowed this to happen, you know? So this, just no safety nets for people. So, and no, and very little sympathy either, you know, for the situation, but also a society that is quite difficult like it's quite you know if you fall off you fall off like it's very hard to maintain if you have like maybe a mental health issue or things fall apart it's hard to put it back together again and there's not much like support for that but anyway me and Zane 
from Chopham Down Films. We were in, was it uh, Fort Smith, I think. And we did a video project. We did a quite a big projection. I think it was 10 stories, a video projection on a wall. And the video itself was of, we kind of went around the area and filmed guys who were living on the streets, their hands, and they were doing like different movements with their hands. So, so the reference imagery comes from this video. And then I, yeah, I wanted to just paint that in Skid Row, I guess a kind of, yeah, just an image that relates care, you know, care, I think would be the simplest word to put that across. Yeah, it definitely comes across when you see it. You know, I feel like the the way you painted it, kind of the the breath that I was speaking about, like you, just the the spirit behind it definitely comes across. It feels like a loving embrace, but kind of an embrace of self. And it, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure everybody that sees it, you know, like it's in I mean, that, I don't in think it's in great condition anymore. I, the last time I saw it, it was half painted over. I don't know how much of it exists anymore, but you know, the idea exists. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, do you have any advice for, you know, younger artists, un- artists coming up, things that maybe you wish that somebody said to you along the way? Do you have any advice for, for people? Yeah, read books. just read lots of books figure out what you're interested in develop a philosophy for life you know I think we're really lazy and just like stop being entertained all the time and actually like articulate yourself like figure out who you are you know I mean that's a lifelong process but like get started (laughs) yeah absolutely be intentional about things Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I think that that's super powerful because it is. It's just like go and live life a little bit, you know? (laughs) Make your life sacred, you know? Like also this thing recently, I I mean, just like everything you have around you, make it your favorite thing. Like don't have things in your life that aren't meaningful to you. Don't have stuff, you know? Like, I don't know, also relationships with people and like, you know, build community. Like, I don't know, just have a sacred life you know, put some time and effort into that because, yeah, we spend too much time. Like it's easy to uh, just let things get blurry. I don't know what I'm saying is just a certain amount of focus Mm -hmm. is needed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, you know, the sacredness of your life and keeping people near you because like I've heard, you know, you're, it's like, you're the sum of the five closest people to you. I remember hearing that. And I, so it's always made me mindful about like, well, who am I hanging out with? And what are, you know, what are they bringing? What's, what's feeding my soul? Am I feeding their soul? Like how do we create community that's you know, moving us in a positive direction and is healthy and supportive. Yeah. And And, and also just like deepening those relationships, you know, yeah. I think, uh, when I left South Africa, I really felt so, and I still do feel so homesick for my community there. And it's made me realize, it's really made me value people so much, you know? So yeah, I think like putting that extra effort into the people you're around to mm-hmm. just brings so much wealth to your life. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I don't know how it has impacted you or even if it has impacted you, but you know, sometimes the art world, I feel like it was male dominated. It's getting better along the way. But how was it for you kind of coming up in the game as a female? Did you feel that you were pushed to the side? Did you feel like you had to fight harder, you know, or was it you not something that affected? 
I mean, you know, I think as women, we all know the situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like it's boys clubs. And even when they're not intentional, they're there. But it's also like a male view of things that we also hold sometimes, you know, that we don't realize we're holding, we're looking at things from a male view instead of a female view, like, or like, yeah, it's like finding that balance in yourself too, you know, of the masculine and the feminine. It's actually a big subject for me because I'm really interested in this, like reclaiming like our female intuition and our power and our insights and this uh, in society. I think it's super, super healthy that we start like really bringing this, bringing this because we've had this patriarchy for so long, but what I realized too, it's not just about the sacred feminine that's lacking. It's a sacred masculine. So like we also need to empower men to be more sensitive and this kind of thing. Right. So it comes from both directions, but definitely, yeah, it's a little annoying, but also I think with my attitude from the beginning being kind of DIY is that's always the approach I've taken to. It's like not, trying to get favors too much. So I take it from the beginning that I'm going to have to make it work on my own. And if I get help, that's fine. So often in those situations, I've just been kind of, I kind of ignore it and just keep working hard and and want my work to be able to speak for itself, regardless of gender or any kind of identity, you know, issue. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I like how you put it so simply. I wish they could have seen your eyes because it was like, you know the deal. <laughs> you, know, like, you know how it is. Absolutely. You know, I feel like you got to make your way. And because you were always DIY and scrappy in a sense, you know, you just went out and made it happen that it allowed you to kind of keep going. Thanks. Thanks. I'll take that. Scrappy. <laughs> yeah. I, I love being scrappy. I definitely think it's 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 a personality type and it also allows you to move so much more because you're not waiting for somebody to like hand you your dream. You know, it's not like coming on the platter and you're like waiting for this to happen for yourself. You're like going out and making it happen yeah. regardless of, you I mean, know, I think like, having like a single mother, my mom's so like independent and strong and she's just like, I really admire her so much and she's been such a role model for me. So it's been really helpful, I think, not having, yeah, like having someone like that as a kind of beacon of light for me, you know. I think it's really good to have mentors and we need mentors and we don't have enough of them, right? Like Patty Smith was like a mentor for me as well. Like, I mean, we have to find them. We have to find mentors. Absolutely. I used to have this thing about, I love to collect elder crushes. Like I would just go out and try and collect all these, like, like I have crushes on older women that I, like I would on, on somebody I'm trying to date, you know, <laughs> cause I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm like, actually, I, I'd rather have you in my life than them, you know? <laughs> so I, I love that. that. So, so Patty is one of your mentors. Who else maybe mentored you along the way? I mean, Marina Abramovich, she's amazing too, right? I listened to her autobiography where she actually is the one who reads it. It's really beautiful. I recommend that. But uh, yeah, I mean, not too many, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're there. Mm-hmm. And do you have mentees? Are there people that you take under your wing? Are they still with you or have they come in and out? Yeah, I would like to do that more. And I think it's important to do that. You know, Elena Lawrence is a South African artist who, you know, she assists me as well. Sometimes she's also kind of a member of the family in a way. And 
yeah, I think I'm kind you know, I'm keeping an eye on her and, and, you know, advising her and that. And yeah, I, I think it's important. I would like to get more into figuring out ways of passing on, passing on information and also just encouraging younger people too, you know, because it is a jungle out there and, I love it. I'm sure people are like waving their hands right now, like, hey, (laughs) that's amazing. I think that that's amazing. But I also really love what you said about holding the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine, because I definitely think that as more has been brought to light about like feminine empowerment and the sacred femininity, that there needs to be more push for the sacred masculine as well, because so many of the issues that we encounter are because of patriarchy in our own thinking and in what's been put upon us and we've been born into. And, you know, I, I think that that's really, really powerful. And I think it's damaged women a lot, but it also damages men, you know, absolutely. It's not good for them. And, you know, I have a son and before I had him, I was quite, you know, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. There's not a a lot of good male role models, when growing up. So I really didn't have a high opinion of men, mm-hmm. <laughs> but having a son just really, and also how amazing his father is. Like, I think it really opened me up to seeing how human we all are and the struggles and, and like also just how beautiful we all are. And so, no, I don't think in that term of like, like men are bad. I don't think that mm-hmm. I think uh, we're just imbalanced. And then that is like, within us and that's like really also based on you know also the destruction of indigenous cultures and this uh, proliferation of like monotheistic religion and our disconnection from like more pagan ways of life where women were you know the herbalists and this and and so it's very deep and yeah i don't think it's as simple as gender mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Faith, I really appreciate you taking the time to just let us dig a little bit into your thinking and your brain and you sharing some of your amazing stories with us. I really appreciate your time today. Could you tell our audience how if people want to find out more about you, how do they find you? Right. Well, I guess a website and Instagram would probably be the best two places. That's the places that I mostly keep up to date. Yeah, (laughs) mostly. I love it. Communicating with the external world. (laughs) (laughs) And what's your website and what are you on social? Yeah, it's just faith47.com and the social is just faith47. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Faith. Thank you. you Yeah, we really appreciate your time and thanks for being with us today. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at NotRealArtWorld.